What you're hearing there is a cold, refreshing Urban South Lime Cucumber Goza. Just want to give a shout out to the Urban South Brewery for keeping us lubricated over four years. Townsend, can't wait to hear about the final race in the Urban South Racing Colors. Cheers. Well, good evening and welcome to episode 108 of the Yeah You Ride podcast. This is the Bodie Bodie. Hey there, Bodie. This is the T-Bone. So cheerio. <laughs> hey, guys. It's Tom and I can't sit down. My butt hurts. <laughs> butt hurt, Tom? <laughs> yeah. I haven't, I haven't sat down all day. I have two options. Sleeping on my face and drooling on my pillow or just leaning against the counter. So, Tom, you were in an accident in a bicycle race this weekend, uh, and we're going to get to that. We're going we're gonna to talk more about that later, but uh, let's segue into an accident uh, by a bike racer that uh, millions of people care about, not just the uh, <laughs> 700 or so odd that uh, follow you on Instagram, Tom. But Not just you guys. Well, probably some of those followers don't actually care about Tom that are just there for the the hate likes. Um, yeah. But uh, but the world does care about Julian Alaphilippe, and uh, we haven't recorded since Flanders. By now, everybody knows that Julian Alaphilippe crashed out of Flanders and what? Didn't break his collarbone, broke his arm? I think broke he broke something. some fingers in his hand because he pretty much punched the motorcycle yeah. when Vanderpool dodged quickly out of the way i just gotta say the 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 episode title the title of last week's episode was big dumb moves and what do you know <laughs> in flander there was a big dumb move um quickly do you guys think is there anybody at fault in that incident um, motorbike you think yeah Really? There are, too many motor, there are too many motorbikes in the race. And every time a rider comes up on the motorbike, they have two options. They can either speed away or they slow down dramatically. Like they just come completely off the gas and suddenly they're going 10 Ks an hour slower. And that's what this guy did because I think he was coming up on another motorbike in front of him. So instead of being able to speed away, he just came off the gas. The guys who are trying to follow the motorbike shooting in his draft swing off. Olaf leaps on the radio, which is a perfectly acceptable thing to do in a bike race. And then Vanderpool, the biggest guy of the three of them is right in front of the smallest of the three of them. Suddenly he's gone and boom, there's a motorbike there. that's going 10 or 20 K's an hour slower than they are. It's just, it's another thing of just like, unfortunately that's quote unquote racing, but there needs to be some better protocol for how these motorcycles interface with the race and the racers. Yeah, so I mean, like, Tom, if I'm if I'm if I'm hearing you right, you're not exactly blaming that individual moto driver for doing something no, wrong. Yeah. You're blaming the fact that there are too many motos in general at these races. And man, sometimes when you yeah. like get these helicopter shots and they're yeah. showing the 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 moto, it is it is actually pretty um, pretty intense. Did you see the? Motos. Sorry, did you see the motorcade that Jai Hindley had at the Giro? no he had like 40 motorcycles behind him like why what what are they doing 
So I think the reason for that, Tom, to answer your specific question is he was the last rider on the road. And I think that was the, basically the, the crew that was set to basically reopen the road as he, as he rode on. In other words, the road was going to be opened behind that race. So I think that was, uh, that was a procession that, that had to do specifically with the fact that the road was going to be opened after, after they, after his part of the race passed through because he was the last rider. I'll allow but it. Yes, you're right. There were like I saw the same thing. There were like 40 motorcycles following him. There definitely you definitely do see a lot, and I think that I I will agree, Tom. That does you know the motorcycle obviously caused the accident, and there's there's quite a bit of them. You know, it's photographers to the officials to the gendarmes, and just just various like amounts of folks that needed to like have a bike race, have a rolling enclosure. Is, is kind of ludicrous when you think about it, like, and you, you zoom out a little bit. Well, one of the th- reasons that they, that, you. you know, they've, they've improved the technology of tele- live television coverage so much now that, you know, with the satellites and, the, and whatever the specific technology that's involved in broadcasting these live shots from these motos, that they're trying to bring a better race viewing experience, I think, to folks at home like us and uh, and start covering a lot more of these smaller groups on the road in races and so they've got a lot more tv motos uh, out there now than they than they used to right that's a good point you're always like well why aren't they showing you know this group or why aren't they showing the chase group and it's like well we don't have enough motorcycles to to get there um let's let's get to the end of this race because we don't want to spend too much time in flanders last episode we all had our picks and uh it looks like one out of four of us got it correct matt you picked vanderpool um so kudos to you you won the flanders picks your check will be in the mail well uh, and, and and matt just beat me at the line uh, right because i i picked wout so uh feel like matt and i sort of sprinted it out for the win in this one quite literally <laughs> and tom you picked mass peterson not there, and I I just went for Sword and Craig Anderson, uh, who was never going to win. No, I don't think he was even in the race. I think think he uh, stopped at mile one hundred. <laughs> certainly makes it more difficult. <laughs> um, but what? So you had? I mean, I don't know. What do you guys? What's what's your sort of thoughts on on that that finish? I mean, we had basically the, I think kind of the two biggest pr- protagonists of the you know quote unquote classicy road season obviously uh wow went to the tour de france and, and tore it up but you know i think wow and vanderpool has been a big story this season and, and so we, we finally had one last two up mono mono bottle in flanders in a classic to essentially end the season do you guys have any any hot takes or thoughts on that my uh my hot take is that Yes, it was a fairy tale ending in the sense that it was Wout versus MVDP mano y mano, but I think it would have been a much better race and a much better finish if Alaphilippe hadn't crashed out and it had been all three of them in the final because I think that would have Alaphilippe at some point would have had to animate that race um, and he would have gone and I think it would have been a much more exciting finish if it would had been the three of them personally and I'm and I'm really sad that that didn't happen. Yeah, I think with how fast both of them are and how equally matched they are, it sort of took out the prospect of anybody attacking. 
I think they were both perfectly happy to just chill to the line and sprint it out. So like over the Powderberg and there's sort of like, oh yeah, they're just going to ride it in. Seemed almost anticlimactic. But if Alaphilippe had been there, that the Paderberg would have been electric. Exactly. Yeah. He would have definitely attacked on the Paderberg, I think, if he'd have been there. So it, it, you know, everybody's seen it. There's no spoiler alerts here or anything. But so they come, they basically come to the last K and it ends up being like a, a match sprint, a track race, doesn't it? You know, it's uh, with, with Vanderpol sitting on the front, just looking back every every two seconds at uh, at Wout. Um, what do you think? I mean, it it was so close. It really was just who who had the most left at the end of the day. Really, right? It's there's no there wasn't. What do you think, Tom? As the expert on sprint finishes, I mean, there's there's like nothing more to say, really, is there? It's just yeah, one guy's that... slightly ahead of the other one. Yeah, I think they were just both so perfectly evenly matched. Uh, Vanderpool played it really well, sprinting from the front, making well make up that extra bike length and acceleration over a couple hundred meters, you know, from a very slow speed. That's very difficult to do. Well, played it well by getting the jump on Matthew, but then Matthew sort of caught him in the act as he was starting to jump and matched it. So it was just a drag race of two of the fastest guys in the world. And there's, yeah, there's nothing between them. I don't, nobody did anything wrong. Nobody did any, or everybody did everything right. And it Vanderpool's, was just, re, Vanderpool's reaction was, was very, very, very immediate. quick. Yeah, yeah. That was like, I mean, that, that, that's killer. what won him the race. I mean, know? it was amazing to watch him ride in the front, but with his head looking back, I mean, like, like you see exactly in a track race, that was a pretty interesting photo. I did notice though that when at the at the very finish you do see Wout's front wheel pop up. It goes into the air a little bit. I'm not sure that his wheel sticking on the ground would have made any difference, but you know, you're losing a little bit there. Maybe. I don't know. So happens sometimes. Yeah. I think yeah, I think Matthew still wins, but I call him Matthew now because we're best friends, first name basis, <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> Matthew. Yeah. I think this is just going to be one of those things where over the next five or 10 years, we're going to see so many races decided by nothing between these two guys. Let me ask you guys. It's this. almost heartbreaking. <laughs> okay. So we speaking of these two, is this becoming, is it now one of the best rivalries in cycling? Yeah. I think it's definitely think it's, the best rivalry in cycling. For sure. I think it's going to be, on par with and even better than Kenchelara and Boonen. I mean, I feel I feel like it's art. Well, admittedly, I, I sort of came at the end. I came into cycling at the end of their reign. The one thing I see about Vanderpool and Wow is that they 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 race road. Well, obviously they started in cross, a lot of battles like in cross, and they transitioned to roads. So we have dual sport. I think they sort of have that. I mean, I. I'm trying to think of like any other rivalry. I mean, obviously you've got, I mean, if you go back in the, you know, Matt and Townsend, you got to help me here with the sort of the older French and Italian riders like Fausto Coppi and Jamondi, or, I mean, I, I don't know, like Merck. I mean, Merck's didn't, did Merck's really have someone like that? I mean, he sort of just won it all, right? So like Bernal and Eno, like Eno and Lamont, but that was, you know, it wasn't, you know, as many like years or races, it feels like. It feels like, because of where they are and how they race, 
they are battling against each other so much more often. Yeah, I mean, it's every weekend in cross. And it it is, I think, super rare to get that. You know, if cross were happening, we would see them every weekend together mm-hmm. from like October through April. And that's kind of wild. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is we used to see that, right? And even though yeah. this season is completely messed up, you know, and right. neither of them's going to, I don't know, is Wout going to race cross at all? I, I haven't, has he, he is. said? He is. Koi, Koi trick. But, End of November. End of November. Yep. And I know Vanderpol's got a very limited season that he's going to do as well. And it, whatever races don't get canceled at this point. Right. Um, but, you know, in, in previous years, and it started to fade off a bit last year, didn't it? You know, that it used to be that they'd be there all season, both of them. And now it's, hey, we've got other priorities too. So there's been that transition going on for the last couple of years with them, really. So yeah, we're, we're it's unsure of how many, how much we'll see them race cross. Will be obviously a smaller schedule, but yeah, once I, th- I think we are gonna, we might like the their battles might be less in cross, but I think they will be just as dynamic and exciting. And and I am really excited to see Wout come into cross this year, not off an of injury like a you know a big injury in the summer. So I think it's gonna be a little bit closer at the front of those races. Let's move on to. One of, okay, the second stage race of the year of our Lord 2020, um, the Giro, which just wrapped up, going into the last stage, which is a time trial, very similar situation to the tour, we had Jai Henley in the pink jersey, but on the same time as Tao mm-hmm. Gegenhart, yep. which was because some, which you, I mean, Rarely do you see riders at the same time. Rarely do you see them at the same time after 20 stages. Um, going to the final time trial, you know, this Giro seemed to follow the narrative of 2020 where things were just so unpredictable. Um, Townsend, I know you had some some feelings. We were chatting about, you know, just this, the tour overall, Giro overall. And, and you, I mean, what do you think? Well, I personally thought it was a fantastic grand tour. It was exciting to watch the entire time. I I sort of titled my Giro synopsis, Giro 2020, an unlikely fairy tale. Um, Because it was very much a fairy tale Giro for a number of riders, um, but not for obvious reasons. Uh, I mean, you've got uh, Tal Gegenhart basically kind of you know, sort of not even becoming the team leader of Enios until the final week of the race. I mean, even after they lost Garrett Thomas, uh, it wasn't like they lost Garrett Thomas and then they anointed uh, Gegenhart their team leader. They lost Garrett Thomas and they became a stage hunting team and stage hunted their way um, into an overall GC position that was solid enough to kind of then make Gegenhart the team leader. Uh, and then you saw, you know, the team race uh, as if they had a team leader. They were lined up, you know, sort of escorting him through some of those mountain stages. Um, you know, coupling his unlikely win with uh, with Ghana's three uh, basic hat trick on the uh, on the time trials, and then another 
road stage win for a total so of four. Ghana uh, had four stage wins. Yep. Ghana had four stage wins. Gegenhardt had one. And, and uh, one of two. Ghana's... Gegenhardt had two. One of Ghana's stage wins was a mountain top finish. Or it was a... It wasn't a mountaintop. It, was, it wasn't it, a mountaintop. It was a climbing stage. It was climby. Yeah. I yeah. mean... <sighs> yeah. And uh, yeah, then you had Gegenhardt with two stage wins and, and Navarez uh, with... Uh, or Narvez with, with one. Um, so... Ineos ends up with seven stage wins and the the GC winner, um, and the white jersey and the team prize. And uh, and and my point about Ineos specifically, I've got more thoughts on the Giro, but I'll start with this one. I I think this was their most exciting and most successful Grand Tour in the Sky Ineos era, my personal opinion, and and it was because of the way that they won. And, and, and the way that it went down, it was not predictable. It was not formulaic. It was everything but formulaic and predictable. Um, but at the end of the day, you can't argue with those results. And, you know, I, I think we've all at times been Sky Enios haters, you know, for the sort of formulaic way that they've won bike races. Um, but, you know, this was one where the state, the script was torn up, you know, completely torn up. And uh, lo and behold, I think it says something about their team, um, and something strong about their team, that this was the, you know, this was the end result of that. You know, um, they're clearly a strong team. They're clearly um, a a a solid group of bike riders. That that's more than just this, you know button-down, bullet-point kind of formula of how to go out and win a Grand Tour. And I personally was would just thought it was fun to watch, and um, I, I'm, I'm anything but uh, an Ineos hater right now. Big, big fans of the way they race that race. Do you guys think that this will in, uh, sort of instruct the way they move forward racing grand tours in the future or do they just the way they have their team and how it's stacked that you know when the giro comes around uh next year 2021 if we have it they'll sort of go back to the old system i think it'll I think be it's a good question what's that time? Oh, I, got I think it'll be something in between i don't mm-hmm. think they'll be riding for gig and heart next giro but i think maybe it'll be a little more open i don't know or it at least won't be like an old guard person. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, obviously, we don't even like they have so many options that it's sort of hard to. I mean, they're going to have to do a lot of work trying to figure out what their grand tour lineup is for next year. And I mean, I don't know where Teo slots in in the list of GC contenders, but I don't, I think, you know, I don't think he's the top. He's probably the top half, at least, um, you know. He's one of their top, he's probably one of their top seven GC contenders that they have. (laughs) Right, yeah. So, So, well, right now they have five Grand Tour winners on their roster. Am I right? Froome, although he's leaving. Yep. Taron Thomas. Thomas. Mm -hmm. Bernal. Bernal. Carapaz. Gegenhart and Carapaz. Yeah. It's pretty pretty ridiculous. Um, It's an embarrassment of riches. And I personally... Don't think it's going to work. Well, I don't know. 
I, I feel like it might not work out for them in this way again. I feel like this was a sort of unique circumstance. And I think that things are changing. And I think they have made the moves to put the 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 new crop of GC riders on their squad. But um, I don't think anybody really wants to see the old way of Grand Tour racing. I think this year we've had a lot of really great stuff. And um, even if some of the stuff we had last year. So I don't know. Well, I, I think, you know, so part of the, you know, what you'd say about the fairy tale of this is there are, you know, was it, you know, like some people are born great. And then it, this is a situation where two guys had greatness thrust upon them really at the last minute that they, they were the guys that, that were the strongest in the mountains. Um, well them and Rohan Dennis, who is now like the best climber in the world. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, well, everything's, remember he everything's won crazy. That- he won, he won the Swift. Swift race, right? That's right. <laughs> so he won do you the think Swift he just Al- Alpes challenge, right? So do you think on his little little Ineos bike computer, he just had the little uh, Alpes Swift <laughs> video playing? He actually had Swift loaded on his phone, and you know he was he was actually riding Swift while running online. Maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's you know that's his carrot. That's what he needs at the end of his stick is a little Swift race. Probably. What if he's the next? The next Miguel in Durain, the big guy, big diesel that can limit losses in the mountains, annihilate people in the TT. I'm not saying he's going to win five tours or anything. Well, he can't annihilate say, his teammate in the TT. So, well, yeah, but the Ghana only can't guy climb he can't well annihilate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he said so, Ghana, Ghana can't climb mountains. Is that what he said? Well, he did. Didn't <laughs> not he? like Rohan. Well, yeah. because the De- Gent pulled the the caddiest move ever which i loved and said yeah. fuck you you're not winning to that other guy <laughs> that was great yeah i what that was what stage four or whatever that's i, I that won't even poetry. go into that but that was an amazing again <laughs> willing to lose you got right you gotta say this you gotta be willing to lose to win yeah um so but i want to get back to rohan dennis real quick just before we move yeah, on let's do not it. only was he the world's greatest super domestique uh maybe of recent memory um, certainly in, in recent Grand Tour memory, uh, acquitting himself in a, in a quite a uh, Kwiatkowski sort of way as, a, as the, you know, the Sky Super Domestique. But uh, he then came back and finished third in mm-hmm. the final day time trial after that searing escort up the uh, uh, three times. The Sestriere. The, uh, up the Sestriere, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and where he got, he would get dropped, and then suddenly he was there again. You know, he would just yeah. be, he was just like, oh, yeah. guys, no, I'm still here. It's fine. I'll just come it's to the front again. It's interesting to see Dennis sort of in this role. I feel like we hadn't seen much of him in a while, in almost two years. Um, was it was it just last summer where he dropped out of the tour um, for Bahrain Merida, right? And then came back and won the world champs in time trial. Yeah. And I don't I feel mean, like this was the only race he did this year. I mean, he did a few earlier ones, but yeah, like this is the same guy that basically dropped out of a grand tour. Cause he didn't like the way his skin suit fit. And then he's like turning himself inside out for his teammate as like the, the greatest bro in history. Like where, where does, where does this come from? I mean, I, I just, if you'd have asked us 18 months ago, it have said the, the guy's just a jerk, right? Yeah. I'll tell you what, it's a great advertisement for Castelli or whoever does Sky's clothing. And Pinarello. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's yeah. all about the chamois. He like yeah. got a got a comfortable chamois. You know, it's like a his... Snickers commercial. Like you're yeah. not you and you're uncomfortable. Yeah. By right. Castelli. I mean, come on, guys. You, you, I mean, if you're Grundle, if your undercarriage is not happy, like nothing else on you is happy. So it's <laughs> totally understandable. Um. So I wanted to unload my spicy take, and actually, it's probably not that spicy, but just a lot of questions about this year with COVID and and the crazy schedule we have. And who the people that we're seeing who are winning the Grand Tours, you know, what, you know, do the younger, they're saying, are the younger riders benefiting from this crazy schedule? Um, and, 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 and Thomas shaking his head saying yes. And, and I can get that. Your body gets into a routine. You've been doing it for 10 years. Your sort of body shuts down. At the end. But at the, in October, my take is, though, that we are just seeing the new crop of GC riders and everybody else who earlier this year or even last year who were GC contenders are not going to win another Grand Tour. So an easy one. I don't think Froome's ever going to win a Grand Tour again. I don't think Thomas is going to win a Grand Tour again. I don't think Dumoulin is going to win. I mean, Nibali is definitely not going to win. Port's definitely not going to win. Yates brothers. Done. Oh, you know, you know where Port's going next year. <laughs> he's going to Ineos. Yeah, right. He's, he's a domestique. Domi- right, but so he's done. Uh, Pino is done. Bardet is done. I-, I think that that the the all these riders who sort of were four or five years ago, sort of the cream of the crop. Um, I'll, I'll also include Quintana, but I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, I will also include. Lopez, I think Lopez is done. I think they're all, it's their, their time, their brief period to rise to the top of GC contenderedness is over. And it's now going to be about Rojlik, who I think is sort of maybe, you know, reaching He's going to be the old man. He is. But Pogachar, Carapaz, Bernal, you know, Tao, um, you know, Henley, maybe, maybe the Almeidas. I mean, I think those, this is the new group. Um, and I think that, you weren't. You're not going to see a win from all those big names I listed ever again in a grand. I do tour. want to remind you real quick, Bodie, while agreeing with you, and I'm going to agree with you. And I think you're right about 2020, um, but and I think I think 2020 has just accelerated this transition from you know from the old guard to the young guard because I do think it has something to do with you know the particular training regimen that was required in 2020 favored the young guys but also I think the trend was headed in that direction anyway and and this year just accelerated it but I will remind you you mentioned Jai Henley and I agree I think he's in the conversation now but just the last podcast we were joking about you know who was in the GC mix for uh for the Giro and you sort of laughingly said I mean who's going to win the Giro Jai Henley you know as if he was like a, a you know a name out of nowhere because in fact he sort of was a bit of a name out of nowhere. And and now all of a sudden he's firmly in the conversation. And that happened between episode 107 and episode 108 of this podcast. So you're saying that, you know, by the time we record an ep- another episode, we could have a new rising star uh, coming at the Volta. That's right. I will say that I got the giant. And his name tip. is Remco Avenipole <laughs> from the top rope. <laughs> I got the Jai Hindley uh, tip from the cycling podcast. I don't want to say that I personally did the research and came up with that. Um, I just want to quickly point out a few things. The last time Chris Froome has won a Grand Tour was 2018. 
uh, the Giro. So 2021 Giro is going to be quite a long time. Uh, Tom Dumoulin, Giro 2017. Geraint Thomas, Tour 2018. Nibali, Giro 2016. Yates is the last rider on that list. I said who won't win. Uh, he won the Vuelta in 2018. Also, I didn't realize that Superman Lopez has never won a Grand Tour. No. Um, Not a good well, except kind of a Grand okay, Tour. Man. Except for the Grand Tour of Colombia. <laughs> Tom, what'd you say? That was a joke. I said more like kind of okay, man, Lopez. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, okay, so on this line, I also want to sort of get back to my favorite topic, and that's Sagan. Sagan won. <laughs> His first race of 2020 at the Giro. He won a stage. He won one stage at the Giro. So that marks... 460-odd days without a win. Was that right? That's that's one win this year. He had four wins last year, eight in 2018. 2017, he had 12. His peak was 2016, where he won 14 stages and won the Rainbow Stripes. I think, obviously, we're on the downslope of Sagan. Um, I just want to say that I, I feel like I successfully, okay, I didn't successfully call it because if I would have been successful, he wouldn't have won, but he did win one stage and that's it. So guys, what's next for Sagan mountain biking, gravel, and Cal- dirty DK 200. I mean, moves to California. He's got his Fondo. He's got a specialized deal. He races gravel. I mean, you know, knock on wood, the state doesn't burn down. He opens um, a bar. Totally. I could see it. It's like Greece themed. It's a 50s <laughs> diner. It's a 50s diner slash bike slop, bike shop slash, you know, gravel fucking lot that you go on rides with. It's like Jack Rabbit Slims from uh, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> well, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll, I'll give you the other side of that coin in this year's Giro, and this is in my notes and hot takes for the Giro overall. Other side of that coin this year, Arno Demar mm. base won every sprint stage. Basically, there was there was one flat stage that that he didn't win, but that was one from the break. Uh, he won every every big bunch sprint for the win, uh, and the uh, Maglia Cinclamina uh finally kind of had his moment i mean here's a guy that's been in the conversation of sprinters for a number of years uh now granted there weren't a bunch of big huge heavy hitters in the giro this year because it wasn't really a sprinty sort of parkour gaviria yeah hodge gaviria who tested positive for covid again Mm -hmm. i mean I'm wondering if he ever actually got over it. Like, cause he was now, he was nowhere in the sprints. Like speaking of my, you know, my fears. He won a bunch of, of races. Gaviria? When he they won first some got, races earlier this he, season. Yeah. When he, he first got any, back to racing. Yeah. He, he won nothing in the Giro. No, no, no. But like oh, after testing positive, he won like four or five races. Um, yes. Okay. You guys talk. I will look he, this up. He 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 had a solid start to the season. He was mm-hmm. he was he at earlier this year there was a, a moment or when he might have said he was looking unbeatable. Yeah, he was on fire when he came back, and everybody was kind of like, "Oh, I guess COVID's not a big deal." <laughs> Maybe not like that, but you know. 
Uh, uh, well, while I, you're looking I, that up, Bodhi, I'm going to introduce uh, another quick hot take of uh, unlikely fairy tales from this year and just great rides uh, to sum up the Giro. Uh, how about Ben O'Connor's performances in stages 15, 16, and 17? He goes out in the break in stage 15, ends up in sort of a two-up battle with uh, eventual stage winner Jan Trotnik, um, and you're figuring like, he really turned himself inside out that day and, and, and didn't get, didn't get the win. Then he goes back in the break, uh, in a mountain stage the very next day on stage 16 and ends up winning that stage in the mountain solo. Fantastic, fantastic, uh, race for him. Uh, didn't get it one stage goes back out and goes and gets it in the next stage and you're like pat on the back man job well done then what happens in stage 17 up the sestriere he's solo off the front again going for a second consecutive stage victory um, didn't actually come close that day but it looked promising for a minute but i mean you know you know, you're a guy, you go out, you almost win stage 15. Then you go back out and you say, well, I hear I'm going for it again the next day. And you win stage 16. Don't you figure you kind of take stage 17 off after that? But no, <laughs> goes right back out and, uh, and, and tries to do it again. You know, chapeau to that guy. Great ride. And actually ended up with a pretty solid GC position as a result of all of those. And ended up with a contract for next year, which he didn't yeah. have. Uh, I was going to ask, where's he, go where's he going? Ajay Desert. Yep. Ajay Desert Citroën, as they are going to be called next year. Also, uh, what did Jai Hindley and Ben O'Connor have in common? They're Australian. Even closer than that. More they raced together Australian. in Perth. They're both from Perth, yeah. And then, you know, final hat off, uh, my final hat to take off to uh, Joao Almeida. Um, again, on the unlikely theme here, uh, subs in not at the last minute, uh, because it was, uh, known ever since, uh, Remco's crash. I mean, Remco was obviously slated to be the team leader in the Giro until his crash. And then Joao Almeida, a last minute replacement as team leader for, uh, De Kunic, uh, comes in with, you know, not super high expectations and, and winds up uh on the heels of a good time trial performance uh early on and uh and the ability to climb mountains uh, ends up wearing the pink jersey for 15 days and um you know and a super respectful overall fourth place finish yeah. for a guy that's not an elite climber you know it was a bit it was a bit sort of uh ala philippe from uh from last year's tour right yeah i, w I mean what is it with a quick step like not really being and you know they're not really a gc team ever but sort of getting in these races and having these riders who can survive i mean yeah speaking of alf speaking of enrique moss right who was riding strong and the Vuelta or whatever uh, a few years ago so i tweeted the other day we were talking about <laughs> the whole new the new ineos that we're seeing right with them pinging riders in the break and doing all this kind of stuff left right and center and I said they were riding in a uh, in a uh, in the in the Dutch total football style, which is uh, obviously named you know Johan Cruyff style at Ajax, the glory days of Ajax, and then Bert, 
that he took it to Barcelona where every every person on the team has to be able to play each position. So if a gap opens up that your your guy moves position somewhere else, then you move in to fill that position, you're able to play that position. The idea is everybody except the goalkeeper can play every single position on the team. And so that's what sort quick of... step do. So ah. Tim DeClerc is the goalkeeper because he just Tim DeClercs. And everybody else can play every position. So, so Yao can be sprinting. Almeida can be sprinting if you know against uh, Demar. They just move around, to. right? They can they can fill positions. <laughs> they just get guys who are really good at, at very good at everything. I actually think that's a really really good connection, and why Quick Step has been so successful. And now we're seeing Ineos adopt it. And yeah, like when you let everybody sort of do everything and let the dogs off the chains, then you become really hard to control. Yeah. Uh, so I like that. I didn't get it at first when you sent it in the group chat, but that makes a lot of sense. Total cycling. Yeah. Total I, cycling. I really, I dig it. I dig it for sure. And, 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 and Teo this year, uh, much like Gareth Bale, when he was uh, playing for Tottenham. Bodie's loving uh, this right now. <laughs> Literally have I'm falling asleep over here. One, one GC as a from the from the fullback position. He was basically a, a, like a like a left winger coming coming from the coming from the you know and that's what Gareth Bale used to do. He he'd charge up that he'd charge up that line uh, when there was a, a hole in the defense on that side and was scoring from the rear. And uh, are, are are you saying that? So you're saying Froome was Troy Aikman and Tao was Emmett Smith. Yes. Okay. Okay. I feel like I'm, try I'm trying to make doesn't, it. Doesn't make who, that doesn't work. Who's Wayne Gretzky? <laughs> I'm so um, confused. Taylor's, DeMar, Taylor's DeMar more like Deion Sanders, right? Deion. <laughs> Prime time? Well, you, you getting into, we're doing cross podcast. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Taylor, Taylor would then have to go race cross like. This weekend at Copenburg Cross. I don't know. We'd have um, to equate Teo to an Arsenal player, uh, so I'd, I'd, I'll have to work on that. Okay. Um, so one other thing I want to talk about the Giro was you had stage 19 was on the books for 260 kilometers. It was a flat stage in the very end of a Grand Tour. It was pissing with rain. It was oh, cold. Oh, I'm sorry, Steve. Right. You're right, Matt. The riders striked. They say we're not racing. We're not. We're not doing this. Um, it's too much with with COVID, with with the condensed schedule, with the weather, with the amount of riding they did. Mountains climbings. I mean, you listen to cycling podcasts. Their rider diarists will talk about the just the more days on more hours on the bike than it's spent sleeping. Just the amount of transfers and travel, and so they struck. And and I was I was glad to see that. And I think it's important. You know, in my mind, I think, you know, the workers are the labor and, and, you know, they they withheld their labor and because it is valuable. And I, and I was a little upset with some I was upset with the cycling podcast, uh, one of my favorite podcasts. They're all like, oh, yes, you know, well, we agree with what they're saying, but we don't like the way they did it. And I was like, wow, that smacks of something I've heard before. <laughs> We don't like the way it's okay to protest. You have a right to do it, but you got it. Can you do it in a different way? Can you not do it in a way that interrupts big Merrill Vinny from, you know, losing money with the towns? I just, 
I was a little upset at the cycling podcast. I, I think that Lionel Bernie was the one who really kind of captured, saw, saw the whole situation. Um, I was surprised that Hannah Barnes was really sort of almost standing with the uh, race promoter. Um, but I just, I just, I wanted to shout out the writers for doing what I thought was the right thing. And I think that they are the, we watch the races because of the riders. Sure. The cop, the helicopter shots of castles are cool. All the history, the race promoter does a lot of work to make the race happen. But really at the end of the day, it comes down to the riders. And at this year, their safety, you know, their it, what, what does it matter if you lose a hundred kilometers from a sprint stage? Yeah, I think it was utter bullshit that they had a 250k stage planned, a fucking transfer stage, not even a stage of consequence, and then they added distance to it. Like, I'm really glad that the riders stepped up and said, "No, we're not doing this," especially because it's raining and cold and COVID, and just like you get this impression that sometimes race promoters and race directors don't actually think. And they're just like, oh, this will be cool to have a 250K stage. But it's like, it's just boring. If they actually raced that stage, it would have been 245Ks of slow, awful riding. And then, you know, a bunch sprint or whatever. But instead they shortened it. It didn't even come down to a sprint, did it? No, it was breakaway. Yeah. So it actually ended up being more exciting because it was shorter. Yeah. And also... It's longer than the Tour of Flanders was, which is just <laughs> stupid, right? There's just no the need. There's week, absolutely no need yeah. for a day in a 21-day race to be longer than a monument. That makes no sense whatsoever. It's not entertaining for the fans. It's not. It's miserable for the riders. It's no good for anybody, is it? And it's not even like it. Yeah, there's nothing. There's no interesting parkour there at all. Um, even if it had been nice weather or or anything it's it's filler and there's just like so maybe it's about making deals with all those towns that it goes through or whatever but i'm sure that's lame you know it's not yeah it does yeah sorry it shouldn't have been on it shouldn't have been on the program to start with right that's i think that's the 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 real thing is like i guess if you were going to take uh issue with it like the teams should have just said no even before the giro started like just gone no this is sure but like this this like things things can change like you things you can have a plan to do something and then circumstances change and one of those is rising cases the 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 weather the the amount of travel like and it's okay to say you know what we can change our mind now even though it's on the books we saw that the route came out last year when the Giro was going to be in may so it's like i don't know well case in point if you'll allow me to offer a case in point and a segue all in one statement, case in point, stage six of this year's Vuelta, mm-hmm. uh, which was originally slated to go up the Tourmalet, uh, which was apparently what snowed in. Uh, no, it's just they, and or uh, is it that they can't go into France? Is it? Oh, maybe that's what it was. Because that was the reason they did uh, Sestriere three times was they were supposed to go over into France on that stage. Uh, and that circumstance led them to uh, change uh, the routing on on stage six of the uh, Vuelta yesterday, which uh, um, was disappointing to some that wanted to be able to climb up the Tourmalet, as a sort of iconic climb, obviously. But uh, those circumstances changed, and and the uh, the race directors made a made a last minute 
change to to make that to make that stage happen. So uh, those things do happen, and um, you know, there you have it. Well, I don't want to talk too much about the Volta, but I do want to say this: that uh, last Tuesday I woke up and the Jira was on, the Volta was on, and which is weird. Of, three days of the Pan, which is one day, was on. It was a Tuesday in October. Yeah. <laughs> So super weird that the Vuelta and the Giro obviously are happening at the same time. I don't, I, I, I don't think it's ever happened, right? That two yes, grand tours. Well, they have been... used to, they used to overlap back. That's in the day right. When they they were... did used to overlap. So, the, so I, I, anyway, I turned on the end of the Vuelta last three K. It was a cracker of a finish where we had attacks and it was a climb and it wasn't a sprint. And our man Rojlik wins the stage. And goes into red. And I was like, holy shit, I'm kind of all in on the Vuelta now. So maybe we'll talk more about the Vuelta next week, unless you guys have anything else to add. I love the parkour of the Vuelta. I mean, boy, you talk about it just, I mean, Spain is just nothing but hills pretty much. I mean, I know that it's different every year. Um, This year seems to be geared much more toward these, you know, hilly stages and hilly Vuelta stages. I mean, a hilly stage in the Tour de France, you know, maybe has a cat four climb in it and some rollers, a hilly stage in the, in the, in the Vuelta. I mean, it can, it can have a, a, a monsterish couple climbs in it occasionally. And the first week is, I mean, they've just been, the Froom was getting dropped and, <laughs> you know, lots of, uh, lots of hitters were, uh, losing time and getting dropped on uh, some of the uh, these hilly little climbs um not much more to say about the vuelta great to see dan martin win a stage which is awesome uh i think matthew vanderpool aside it's going to be really exciting to watch how alpacine phoenix develops because i think they're turning into a little mini quick step uh right before our eyes the other day there was much to do about quick step placing four guys in the front selection and the crosswinds opposite Phoenix also had four guys in the front selection. So it's going to be really exciting to watch how they sort of emerge from what was just a club team in Belgium to maybe one of the most dominant classics teams in the world. Now that brings up an interesting point, Tom, because there's, I heard something that because they're the top pro Conti team, are the rules changing next year? There was something about they will get invited to the Grand Tours as the top Pro Conti team. That there's there's some change going there, or did I just dream that? I don't know. The like instead of a wild card, there's actually like a qualification process. Mm-hmm. Partial. That would be cool. I think a partial qualifi- qualification process. You know, you'll still get the Caja Rurales and and Burgos and stuff, and yeah. then you know the Italian teams with us billions of logos but uh so so that that means that you know if the olympics are next summer and matthew interpol is not going to go to tour de france that gives him one more year to pick up that world tour license um wait tom what are you talking they're not in the volta though no i'm talking about three days at japan gotcha Mm. okay yeah yeah, sorry i was going going back yeah no um oh yeah i you know we could we should should talk about that briefly because in three days japan one day of japan (laughs) One day, Dupont, <laughs> Vanderpool landed in a ditch. What happened? What I missed how he got into the ditch. 
Was it only a moto? The, only the wind can beat Matthew Vanderpoel this year, apparently. It takes a, <laughs> takes a Belgian wind to beat him. No Belgian cyclist can do it, but the Belgian wind can. <laughs> Either wins or he wins. <laughs> he gets farted Ooh. off the course. <laughs> Uh, Guys, yes, we'll... he, he literally got caught in a caught in a gust of wind and blown into a ditch. Wow. Okay. Wow. I guess that's I guess that's what the I guess that's what it's about. And racing in uh, north western north eastern northwestern Europe. Is that on, on the on the coast, huh? Yeah. Is yeah. that do they, they call it Northwest Europe? Is that a, is that a, do people refer it that way? I've never heard of that. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of crashes, let's Let's end this podcast with a little bit of local racing, I guess. Um, Wait, does now... that mean we get to we get to cue the Lambert soundtrack? We had, have we heard that in a while? Let's cue the Lambert soundtrack. Um. So look, it's October. Uh, the pandemic really sort of came to the forefront in the middle of March. Um, you know, Townsend, Matt, our club, Semi Tough, we shut down club rides fairly short after, and we haven't really brought back group rides since. Um, we did a lot of Zwifting. Um, we've seen, you know, a lot of our friends sort of do smaller group rides. Um, but, you know, during that time, there's there's been people who have just have just kind of, you know, it's been a normal year for them with the Saturday, Sunday group rides. And, and I've seen those numbers grow and grow. And at this point, you know, you look around in our area and it's it's essentially like it was last year at this time. The Fondos are popping there. There there's people there. Um, you know, I guess I'm at a stage personally where it's like I do recognize that being outside on your bike is probably one of the safest spaces to be and small group rides towns. And we did a small group ride on Sunday. I, I feel, I feel incredibly safe, um, in those situations, but I haven't sort of stepped to that, to, to a bike race. And, and obviously there's been a bunch of bike racing. We're talking about bike racing this whole year. So there is, we're seeing it happen. And, you know, granted we're watching the grand tours where they have, they actually are actively testing and there's bubbles and there's some modicum, of hygiene theater that's taking place. So there's a little bit different. And, and in the cyclocross races in Europe, it's, it's, I don't know if they're doing testing like that in a bubble sense, but they're racing and cyclocross is a little bit different than road racing. You guys both did some road racing this weekend. And I just wanted to talk to you guys about that, how you felt, how it went. What are your thoughts? I mean, would you, you know, what's like, obviously next year's road season is coming around fairly soon, Tom. So like, how are you feeling coming out of this weekend and what do you think about the future? I don't know. I think it was pretty stupid to race. <laughs> um, the, the one saving grace is that these local races are in the middle of nowhere. There's no spectators and the field is very, very small. There's less than 30 guys and, you know, immediately a bunch of them are shelled. So you're really realistically, you're in a group of eight guys. Um, so Tom, how did you, so in, how safe did you feel in that race? Towards the end of that race, how uh, safe did you feel? What are you getting at something, Matt? <laughs> Is this a softball? Did I? Are you? Are you? Uh, are you? Are you pitching an underhanded uh, cabbage ball well, to did, Tom right did, now? He did two races. Maybe we're the only. To this. 
The only time I really thought about COVID was on the rollout of the road race on Saturday, where I just sort of like, um, in these guys' sweat wake, I hope nobody blows a snot rocket at me. Um, But after that, I didn't really think of it. But I think it was still kind of dumb to race. But I wanted to go check out your boy, Daniel Swan. And I'm glad I did. I'm bringing him on as a, a full-time member next year of Automatic Racing. Wow. Gosh, you heard it here news. first. I think, yeah, I think uh, we talked about it over our beer at Applebee's before the crit. Um, <laughs> That's where you're going to get COVID, by the way. Yeah, yeah. seriously. That's Everybody the thing. Wow. wearing masks who spaced out. Wow. Like, I, you know, like, I can get down with the racing, but you went to Applebee's during these <laughs> times? It was spaced out. It was good. <laughs> Were you outside? Anyway, so, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I think there's still a little bit of a physical gap to be closed for him to get ready, but he's got months to do it. And the most important thing is that mentally he's there. He cool. was always in the fr- he was always in the front. He was going in the attack. He was covering attacks. He was never on the back foot. And I mean that's ninety percent of these crits. So nice. Um, I'm really excited and hopeful for that for next season. Pretty Townsend, pumped. what are you, what are your, just your thoughts in general and, and, and sort of going to a race and yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with, with, you know, Tom, I mean, it's probably stupid. I'm going to chalk it up a little bit to just a little COVID fatigue on my part, you know, that I'm just sort of like, God, man, I'm just so sick of not, you know, getting out there and, you know, chasing wheels and, and doing the stuff. And, and I, you know, I, I'm still not going to start going out and doing that twice a weekend. You know, I mean, I think that would be a little nutty, but doing it one time again, small fields. Yeah. Not really a lot of people. I sort of bugged out pretty early and I didn't stick around for the, you know, for the big mob around the podium. And there was a little bit of a mob around the podium after, I mean, most people were pretty respectful. People were wearing masks. Um, they, you know, they were certainly, there was certainly no one that was like flaunting their anti-maskness, um, which was nice, especially around here. Um, and, uh, so I was the one guy that showed up to the to the uh, start line wearing a mask. I kind of thought like everybody was going to be hanging out at the start line with a mask on, and then you know when it when the whistle blows, you take it off and throw it in your jersey pocket. Um, so everybody was breathing on each other as we all sat around there, which you know was going like pointless to wear a mask all the other times if you're gonna, you know, sit there and be two feet away from each other on the start line. But um, that being said, you know, I just kind of put it out of my mind, I guess, and 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 just thought, you know, I'm outside, the, you know, they were going fast. Um, uh, you know, I, I I guess fingers crossed, it all works out. A um, little nervous about it, but it was it felt great to be out racing and and riding hard, and um, so I, I mean, I just. I, I hope we can get back to it next year, and I, and I hope that I hope that the collective COVID fatigue doesn't lead people to just start getting back to normal too quickly next year. You know, um, but you know, because it just doesn't quite feel right to to just get back into it right now. And and I'm not really sure how you 
I'm not really sure how you do bike racing in the midst of all of this. I mean, yeah, like you say, Bodie, the, these sort of like bubble grand tours are one thing, but even in these bubble grand tours where these guys are getting tested all the mm -hmm. time and, you know, and staying away and living in the, in the bubble and all that, you still have people that are, you know, spreading COVID around. And so we had to, you know, I mean, it's let's not forgetting the zero two teams went home. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that. Or did we? No. Nope. Last week, last time. No. Yeah. But I think it, you know, if anyone from Lambert's listening to this, anyone associated with that race is listening to this, I will definitely say like it was a, it was under the circumstances, a very well conducted race. Everyone was respectful. Um, you know, fingers crossed that, that they were, that, it, that, that, you know, wasn't silently or invisibly spreading, spreading COVID around for sure. But, um, they did things right. Uh, and, and I feel like it was an event that, that went off well. And so great to have a, great to have a, a regional or a district championship race. And so, congratulations to everyone who won. <laughs> Tom, a little nugget for the listeners who got this far. You posted a video last night, um, where someone seemed to really want, I guess his, his name's Raleigh Weaver was really interested in the pavement on the last corner and wanted to just, you know, do a little pavement check and check it out. Accidentally he involved you in his little his dirt nap. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that or should they just go to your Instagram? Uh, I mean, they can go to the Instagram if they want, but it, there's not much to talk about. I think a lot of times in these local races, you have varying levels of ability. And I think sometimes people get a little bit ahead of themselves and they ride outside of their limits and they don't maybe quite understand where their skill is, where their equipment is, whatever it may be. And they just, they push it a little bit too far. And, you know, sometimes it has consequences. So had an, unfortunate little get down in the final turn yesterday but you know that's sort of the nature of these things sometimes people think they're a pro and really they can't handle it but you know that's racing it happens and tom you mentioned in your in one of your instagram stories that you know it's something that that you've been guilty of yourself in the past you know accidents happen sometimes you, yeah sometimes you make a stupid decision um, but I think your point was, was more that it's kind of about the way that you handle it after the fact, maybe the way you react to it, uh, and, and, and the way you maybe learn from it. And it sounds like maybe some of that was, was maybe missing from this interaction. Yeah. So last year, Tulsa day two, I pulled a very similar shitty move, uh, moving up the inside with 12 or 10 laps to go going into turn one. Lost a little bit of grip in the rear tire, but saved it. But there was a crash behind. And, you know, Jake McGee comes up to me out of the next turn. He's like, what the fuck was that, Gibbons? Like, that was some bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, yeah, man, you know, you're right. That was shitty. I'm really sorry. Won't do it again. And then, like, that was the end of it. So just, like, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody makes shitty moves in the, the heat of racing. Like, that's okay. You know, we all assume the risk of racing. Uh, but I think it's just really important to accept responsibility for your actions, <clears throat> for your actions. And, you know, 
some, it's okay to apologize. That doesn't make you weak. I think apologizing can, you know, make you strong. It gains you respect in the sport or whatever your industry may be. Um, people respect you for it. So if you fuck up, say I fucked up, you know, we'll like you for it. But if you try to pass blame, then, well, here we are. Well, we got treated to, we, we actually had quite a treat where Tom mooned us um, and we saw your road rash and it looks pretty brutal. But luckily, Zoom sort of censored the other areas, which was kind of interesting how that happened. Um, but I appreciate this. This wasn't a, this wasn't a Jeffrey Tubin <laughs> incident. Um, on that note... <laughs> Townsend shaking his head. I think we should get out of here. Um, so Townsend. Oh, I don't have anything to uh, close with this week. I'll just sign off saying I'm, I'm T-Bone, and I'm still just a little too slow on the bike. Oh, is it me? <laughs> uh, this is Sacherio, and I'm already giving my hot takes now. Ineos will win all three Grand Tours next year with Tom Pitcock. Ooh. That's interesting. Remco second. I'm, uh, from the top rope. I'm Tom, and I'm going to go ice my butt cheeks now. <laughs> and this is the Bodie Bodie saying, once again, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can write to us at yayuride at gmail.com or slide into our DMs on Instagram. Thanks again for listening and See ya soon, where we talk about the final Grand Tour of the year. La Vuelta. Good night. If the moon was made of cheese, would you eat it?